You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Hey, I want to thank you uh, for being here today. Um, the Lord has wrestled us, hasn't he? <laughs> and praise God he won. We're stubborn people. Uh, thank God he's a strong guide. Uh, because we're fighters, aren't we? <laughs> we fight him tooth and nail. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel 1, verse 3. Thank you, praise team. What a, what a worshipful time we've had this morning. We're going to be skipping through several chapters again today uh, before we launch in, but we'll launch from 1 Samuel 1, verse 3. We're going to read verses all the way down through chapter 4. Uh, I didn't set out to give two uh, current news reports uh, two weeks in a row, but this week's article uh, headline that I read this week was just too applicable to pass up. Listen to this story. The story reads, restaurant adds $50 surcharge for adults unable to parent. <laughs> news Nation reporting from Tampa, Florida said the internet is divided over a small detail at the bottom of a Georgia restaurant's menu that charges parents for their misbehaving children. Just below the gratuity disclaimer, the Tacoa Riverside restaurant menu reads, Adult Surcharge for Adults Unable to Parent. A Florida mom, Lindsay Landman, who visited the restaurant with her family and four other families, told Today.com, I remember thinking, no way this is real. She said their table had 11 kids ranging from 3 to 8 uh, and added that she was actually surprised at how well behaved uh, they were during their meal. Uh, but the owner disagreed. When the owner approached their table after dessert, he pointed to the menu where it mentions the surcharge. And of course, she thought, well, uh, she says that I thought, well, he's going to come up and point out the surcharge because he's going to compliment us on how good our kids have been. But she says that wasn't the case. The owner informed Landman the bill would have an additional $50 added due to the kids being too loud. Some of the adults had taken the kids outside after the meal, but the owner was still angry because the kids were running around outside. When Landman said the kids were quiet the whole time, he got in her face and told her, they belong in a Burger King, not at this restaurant. When Today.com called the restaurant for a response, an employee told them, we're not going to comment on a policy we've had for years. We just want to live in the woods and cook. <laughs> Don't we all? Reddit users chimed in. Uh, with their thoughts on the controversial menu. Y'all ready for these comments? These are good. One user wrote, being a Karen goes both ways. And this restaurant's giving me Karen vibes. So is your post. Uh, passive aggressive menu, lack of consistent formatting or capitalizing, complicated pricing, etc. Another, another user said, works for me if it gets someone to take some form of action when their kid's being a little in public. I won't read the word there. And finally, this comment, I'd pay money to watch Gordon Ramsay visit this place. <laughs> All right. And just so you know, for you, you moms with kids, don't you worry. We're not a restaurant. We're a church. We're not going to charge $50 if your kid's bad. We're going to charge $100. $200 if your phone goes off during the sermon. And $300 if the preacher goes long. I'm just kidding about the last part. All right. So the deal is we may not agree on how the, the, the restaurant handled bad kids. But here's what we can agree on. Parenting matters. 
how we raise, how we teach, how we discipline, how we encourage our kids has immediate and eternal consequence. The Bible has a great deal to say about raising children. And, and that old phrase, the apple doesn't fall far from the trees, is especially applicable today uh, in the passage we're going to read about a priest named Eli and his two con artist sons, Hophni and Phinehas. So we're, our sermon today is how to raise a con artist. So let's read, starting in 1 Samuel 1, verse 3. I apologize. We're going to jump around, try to keep up on the screen. Uh, 1 Samuel 1, verse 3. Now this man, uh, they're speaking of Elkanah. Okay, so this story takes place right in the midst of Hannah, this barren woman who can't have a child, her and her husband, uh, are, she's unable to give birth to a child, and so she's going to go into the temple and pray. Uh, and so 1 Samuel 1, verse 3. Now this man... Hannah's husband, Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. By the way, uh, I wanted Hunter to use that song, Lord of Hosts, with us today. But, uh, and I was going to call him during the week to tell him, say, hey, would you, would you, are y'all, would y'all mind playing this Sunday? But the Holy Spirit just, like, I just wanted to, I was like, no, I'm not going to call him. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do it. And doggone it if he didn't play the song anyway. So that's a cool little thing, the spirit leading Hunter. But this is the first place in all of Scripture that this is used, this title of God, Lord of Hosts, at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. Jump to chapter 2, 1 Samuel, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come. And by the way, the priest's servant, those, those servants are probably also Hophni and Phinehas mentioned here. While the meat was uh, boiling, they would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat uh, from you, uh, but only raw. We'll explain that in a minute. But if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I'll take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Verse 22, 1 Samuel 2, 22. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it's no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Which is almost an unbiblical statement. But anyway. But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature, and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Jump to 1 Samuel 3. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he couldn't see, was lying down in his own place. 1 Samuel 4. 
verse 2. This is where the Philistines capture the ark of God. The Philistines drew up in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the, bat- on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from here from Shiloh, that it may come uh, among us and save us from the power of our enemies, like they thought it was just the ark that would do it. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. Uh, And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Verse 5, as soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark uh, Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and they fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. I want to ask Monica Bergen to come and ask God's blessings on his word. May God bless its reading. Thanks, Monica. Lord, we thank you today for this beautiful day to come to your house and worship. And I pray that you will bless our service today, Lord. Bless the songs we sing. Bless the words we hear through Brother Went. Lord, we lift up those who are hurt, those who are ill, those who are sick and hurting, because we know you are the healer, the comforter, the great physician. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for loving us, and most of all, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and it's in his name I pray. Amen. 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 Speaking of answered prayer... It's good to see Jeremiah, little baby, miracle baby Jeremiah in the service today. Um, so, well, the ESV, uh, you know, basically explains that the first seven chapters of First uh, Samuel are about two things. The birth of Samuel as God's answer to the prayers of a barren mother who couldn't have children. And then Samuel himself as the answer to Israel's need for a prophet who uh, is going to give guidance to Israel through the transition of their period of the judges to their period of the kings. Many times in the midst of um, spotlighting great people of faith or transitioning the transitioning of God's people into a new movement of God, last week we saw this in the book of Acts. The the church was growing. The church was transitioning. uh, These little house churches were being sent out. People, missionaries were being sent out. And we saw last week in Acts 8, there were these spotlights and transitions. And many times in the middle of those spotlights and transitions, God exposes deep fakes to set a starker contrast between committed and the con artist. Tim uh, Randall shared uh, in Men's Breakfast today. And in his testimony, he was talking about, of course, they're from California. He grew up in California, so that's, he went back home for several months, him and Nate. And he was talking about how... God was growing him, had, had been growing him in his faith, and, 
And he goes back to what's supposed to be this magical remembrance. But he realizes that a lot of these guys he grew up with and, and, and adults, those older people, <laughs> uh, they, they, hadn't been moved, they hadn't moved forward an inch in their faith. They were just stagnant believers. And it's interesting that in the midst of Tim growing in the Lord, he's, he's noticing these contrasts. And that's exactly what's going on here. God's exposing deep fakes to set these contrasts between committed believers and con artists. And that's where we want to start this morning. First, the con didn't start with Hophni and Phinehas. There were factors contributing to the wickedness of these two brothers. And I'm not saying it takes a village, all right? We're going to talk about personal accountability in just a minute. But the choices that parents make in raising their children will either be recorded in the pros column or the cons column. And the first con that we see in Eli is Eli's faults as a follower. Before your fault as a father, <laughs> it's a fault as a follower. That's where your big faults are. First, Eli ignores his own name. Now, Eli was a priest. He descended from, the, I think, the last, the youngest son of Aaron, uh, Ithamar. And his name actually means, Eli actually means God is high, as in lifted up, highest master. So not a day could go by. My name's Went, all right? Like you went somewhere. I have to tell everybody, all right? I'm named after an uncle who adopted my dad. And so every time I hear my name, I think of my uncle, right? So if your name is God is high and lifted up, if that's your name, how can you not be thinking about that? His very name placed God where he belonged above all. And church, let me just say again, thank you, uh, Peggy, Renee, all those who served in the Fall Fest uh, last Sunday, so many volunteers. Uh, we had over, I think, 320, 350 people come through, or at least that's filled out cards, and uh, a lot of great conversations, a lot of people that came into this place, this campus for the first time, and so I'm thankful for that. But all of you who serve the Lord through this church family we call Piperton, you are a servant of God. And, I, and my prayer for you is that you not take that for granted, right? To call ourselves servants of the Most High is better than being the son of an earthly king. One scholar put it this way. A person involved in the ministry of the Most High has a nobler task than he who rules an empire. A great example of this is from the life of little old Jacob, right? He's sitting there starving out in Egypt. Genesis 47, 7, then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. <laughs> Pharaoh ruled the entire empire, but he's not the one doing the blessing. Jacob's blessing him. Jacob was greater than the Pharaoh of Egypt. You try to remember that the next time you're having your little pity party, your little spiritual pity party on how small you feel. <laughs> you're a servant of God. Or have the ability to be. And there is no greater thing than to serve the great high God. You can't get any higher than when you bow to and serve our creator. There's no greater role in history. Well, second, he ignores God's voice. Not just his own name, but he ignores God's voice in a multitude of ways. First Samuel 3, 1, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli... And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. It wasn't rare to Samuel. <laughs> it was rare because of, uh, possibly in part because of Eli. There was no frequent vision. Now listen, the opening chapters of 1 Samuel 
honestly read like this contrast between Hannah and her godly son and Eli and his wicked sons. I mean, just even Hannah singing songs to the Lord and Eli's just a stick in the mud. And it's, it's a, a real stark contrast versus the, the, the spirit-filled barren Hannah versus the spirit-less lazy father and priest Eli. So when the Bible's talking about the word of the Lord and visions, it's talking about prophets who would hear messages from God and they would deliver those messages to the people of God. So if prophetic activity was rare in, in those days, it meant that God's word wasn't being heard by the family of faith, by the family of the Lord. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. What's the law got to do with vision? Everything. Eli had the word of God. When it says there's no frequent vision, we're not talking about people that just have these spontaneous uh, prayer times with the Lord and God speaks to them about something. We're talking about he wasn't reading. I don't believe Eli was even standing up and reading the words of God. Ro go back to Joshua 1 verse 8. He says, the book of the law, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it, meditate on it day and night. So maybe there were no visions, but God's word could have been read. God's word could have been taught. God's word could have been obeyed. It's just that Eli wasn't reading it and teaching it. Eli's already proven that he, he wasn't dialed in to the voice of God or, or discernment. You remember when Hannah was praying in the tabernacle at Shiloh? She was praying for her son and she was crying out so uh, just helplessly that it sounded like he accused her of being drunk. Instead of going in like a shepherd would and say, excuse me, ma'am, are you, are you okay? He goes in and it rebukes her falsely for being drunk. And she says, no, I'm not drunk. By the way, she says, don't consider me a, a daughter of Belial, which is ironically the very thing the Bible calls his sons in the very next chapter. <laughs> sons of Belial. <laughs> Quite the contrast, right? We see Eli three times in 1 Samuel. He's sitting down on a seat outside the tabernacle, uh, first as a symbol of his authority. Then we see him laying down asleep, only to be woken up three times by Samuel, who could hear the voice of God, but Eli couldn't. And then in 1 Samuel 4.18, as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. And I think all that kind of paints a good picture of Eli, doesn't it? It's hard to see Eli's faults. It's hard to not, it, it's, it's not hard to see Eli's faults as a follower of God, both as a believer and a priest. And secondly, we see Eli's faults as a father, right? Eli's priorities were all askew. They were out of order. Many of y'all, uh, some of y'all may have heard of the uh, golfing buddies who would get together once a month uh, and they'd put a little money on the line, you know? wager on, on, on the holes and stuff. And so as they made their way to the 18th green, uh, the, the pot, the purse had gotten pretty large. And so Chuck lined up to, to put a little six-foot tap in. And as he stood over the ball and positioned his feet and adjusted his grip, one of his buddies messing with him said, Hey, Chuck, no pressure, but if you, if you drop this six-foot putt, you're going to win over $1,500 in this purse. And so, you know, all the guys were messing with him. So just as he began his back stroke, because this was an easy tap in, 
a, group, a bunch of cars in a line came around the corner of that golf course. There was a street there on the 18th green. And uh, it was a funeral procession. And there were police out front, and, and everybody had their flashing lights on. So immediately, Chuck steps away from the ball. He put his club down. He took off his hat, and he put it over his heart. And he stood there stoically watching as that whole funeral procession passed by. And when, when the last car was out of sight, he put his hat back on, grabbed his club, and he took his stance back over the ball. And the, the men, his buddies, were like, wow, Chuck. That was one of the most respectful and kind things I've ever seen anyone do on a golf course. Good for you. And they all gave the little golf clap, you know. And he just shook his head and he said, no, guys, really, it was nothing. After all, we were married for 32 years. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Priorities. (laughs) What are our priorities? I hope that's not a true story. Lord, listen, our personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the spiritual well-being of our families should be top three on our everyday to-do list. Do y'all ever think about an everyday to-do list that includes God? You know, uh, get the kids fed, get my hair did, right? Get grocery pickup, old change, got to get some dog food, got to, right, can't forget to pick up the kids, got piano practice, all these to-do lists that we have, right? Haircut. But do you have a spiritual to-do list, an everyday spiritual to-do list that, like this? Uh, talk to God before my feet hit the floor. What about share Christ with my buddy from work? What about hug every family member and tell them how much I love them before I leave the house today? What's, what are your priorities? I'm going to tell you what I think Eli's priorities were sitting in one place, stuffing his face with no fruit to trace. You think that your kids aren't watching you? You've lost your mind. We're watching. (laughs) Even as I was disrespecting my dad as a rebellious little teenager, I was actually privately respecting him. You know, I was putting up a front, but I was watching everything they did. I watched my parents apologize and own their mistakes. I watched them do that. My dad didn't cry much, but I've seen him cry. I walked in on them and caught them kneeling by the window in prayer. (laughs) I'd round the corner in the mornings and my dad would be scarfing down eggs as he was reading scripture and rushing out the door to work. (laughs) I've watched my parents serve relentlessly in their church and they still do. My dad's 79, my mom's in her mid-70s, knees are bad and she won't stop serving. I would help them. There was a lady, I remember there was a lady named Evelyn Johnson in our church. She had cerebral palsy. And she was an adult, you know, she was actually had lived into her senior adult years, and um, she was a widow. And I helped them, I would go over and help them cut her grass when it would get too tall. I busted them every day living for the Lord. You want to raise a con artist, just be shallow in your faith, right? Get your priorities out of line. And that's probably all that the devil needs to get a foothold in your family. Just step away for a minute. Coast. 
God's word didn't take a serious place at Eli's family table, and it was portrayed even louder by his sons. And I don't have time to explain all of this, but 1 Samuel 2.12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They didn't know the Lord. goes on to describe their sexual relationships with women uh, and the trident, which was like a uh, three-pronged fork that they would stab into the cauldron. Uh, they would take all that the fork brought up. And if you go to, uh, back to Deuteronomy 18, Numbers 18, 1 Timothy 5, 17, it was biblical for the priest to be provided for from the sacrifices brought, but not the way Eli's sons were doing it, right? So there, there, there were portions that were to be allotted to them, but they were taking all of it. They weren't selecting the portions that, the, that Leviticus 3 and other places describe. Uh, they even got it out of order. First Samuel 2.12 says, Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest said, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. Thus the sin of the young man was great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated the offering with contempt. Right? So they just weren't doing. They weren't taking. They were just taking at will. When parents treat their faith and God's word with laziness, they often has, have children who take that to the next level and treat God's word with contempt. It's not just that they ignore God's word. They are contemptible against it. Eli should have never appointed his unworthy sons to be priests. It was the negative side of nepotism. And when his son sinned so wickedly, he never held them accountable. Oh, Boys, you boys, y'all stop that now. Now, some of y'all may read, you know, 1 Samuel 2, 22. Eli was old. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing. At least he tried, you know. Why do you do such things? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Eli tried. Listen, we know for a fact that Eli had other biblical methods that he wasn't applying to the discipline of the priesthood and the discipline of his own children. We know this because First Samuel 3 verse 11 says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, verse 12, On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken. Verse 13, And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Proverbs 13, 24 is in the Bible. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. You have to be diligent as a parent. Listen, you fathers and mothers and grandparents and whoever has custody of the kids in here, leather belts, wooden spoons, timeouts, or get out, Whatever your forms of discipline are, they do need to be done with love. They need to be done with the motive of, I'm not angry and lashing out against my child. I'm, I'm wanting to teach them. I have to teach them. God's called me to teach them, so I have to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm watching football for Pete's sake. I don't want to get up and deal with that kid who's fighting, right? But we have to be diligent. That's why it throws that part in there. Kids aren't spoiled because they have too much stuff. We all have too much stuff. They're spoiled because they have too little input and accountability from their parents. Now listen, I want to throw in a caveat here. We need to be cautious that we don't go around judging uh, every parent. You know, 
a lot of parents have their hands full. You don't know how those kids grew up. You don't know what they've been exposed to. We need to be people of grace, especially in public. All right? I even, that's helped curb my desire to cut someone back off in traffic that cut me off. I think, I don't know what they're rushing to. I don't know why they're mad. Right? So we need to be gracious. And, and Eli was in his eight, 90s, so we may think, well, cut the guy some slack. Absolutely not. You senior adults in here, listen to what I'm about to tell you. You who find yourself in the last 10 to 20% of your life, you know who you are. We need, and I think I say this on behalf of our entire church, we need you to finish well. We need you to crawl across the finish line of your faith with your aching knees and your dementia and we need you to crawl right into the heaven of God to get those new bodies of yours. We need to see that. There are too many people failing in ministry, as Sunday school teachers, leaders, moms, and dads. Finish. Just finish well. <laughs> we need to see it. So many great lives have been spoiled by, by not finishing well. Eli knew his sons were wicked. He was even rebuked about it. And instead of crying out to God for mercy, it says he did not restrain them. And it brought punishment on himself and his sons. Which leads to my last point this morning. There's only two main points. Con artists are still accountable for their decisions. Some of you have been biblical parents your whole lives. You really have tried. And to you kids in the, in the, out here, we're sorry. We're not perfect moms and dads. We are in a, a biblical office as a father and a mother, whether that's a stepfather or a grandparent, it's a biblical office. And so we're told by God, though we don't deserve to do it, we've committed the same sins we're disciplining you for. But we're told by God to guide you and to spare not the rod, whatever that discipline looks like in your home. It needs to be done with love and not abuse. But whatever it is, we're commissioned by God to do that. And I'll just tell you, we'll never feel perfect. I mean, one day you'll be, you know, what's that saying? By the time a man realizes maybe his father was right, he usually has a son who thinks he's wrong. <laughs> Your parents get a lot smarter as you get older. Hoffman and Phineas had great names, just like their dad. Hoffman meant strong, Phineas meant face of trust, right? And though they shouldn't have been serving as priests, they were still accountable to the office. And there's a sense in which we always feel out of our league in what we're doing as parents. But let me tell you something, kids. You're accountable for your sins before God. You're accountable to obey your parents. I'm 50 years old and I'm accountable to respect and fear my, the, the, the office of my mother and father. Even when they tell me things that I'm not going to obey because they may be, even if they told me something that was unbiblical. I still need to love them and respect them. There's a sense in which we all need God's help in what we're doing. Those tasks aren't without God's equipping, whatever he's calling us to do, his empowering, his enabling. Those Eli, Hopney, and Phineas, though they weren't equipped to do what they were doing, they were still accountable to the office. And so are we as parents, though we're not ever feeling like we're equipped. I want to just say two things here. One is that God is just in all his judgments. I just want to read to you one passage of scripture. <laughs> uh, this is basically priests 
who were going through the motions of offering sacrifices. This is one of the most amazing passages. Isaiah 66, verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Then he says some crazy stuff here. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. What's he saying? What does that mean? It means that the priests that were in the temple didn't even believe in the word of God. They're just going through these motions of sacrifice. And if that's what they're doing, all they're doing, they're, they're acting like a cruel animal owner, breaking the neck of a dog. You don't, you don't even know why you're doing what you're doing. But you're going through these sacrifices, and because you don't understand it, it makes it wicked. He says, these have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I will also choose harsh treatment for them. You want to break a lamb's neck? When you, know, when you don't even believe that it sacrifices for your sins? You want to do that? Well, I'm going to have harsh treatment for them. And bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they didn't listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense on his enemies. God is just in all his judgment. And he took out Eli and his sons. And second, we are accountable for our actions. I don't think a, a better example may exist in all of Scripture than Matthew 26, verse 24. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. It was prophesied the way that Jesus would go. He would be betrayed. For the prophecies of God to be true, for God's word to be true, that had to happen. But woe to the, that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Right? God knew and prophesied of the way in which Christ would die and be betrayed. But the man who did it was still accountable for it. Hophni and Phinehas disgraced their high calling and shocked the people so much that they hated the offering of God. We've got to be careful, church, the way we live for Christ, that people don't hate Christianity because you're professing Christ and whatever you're doing they don't want to be part of it's true their dad warned them but never with the severity their wickedness deserved he should have exercised his authority as a father he should have rebuked them as a judge but they are still accountable for their actions you want to raise little con artists <laughs> just lift your foot off the pedal of faith coast for a while relax kick back and let the devil take over because that's what will happen God help us to find fresh faith every day. Biblical to-do list so that our children will tremble at the word of God. Do you know why all men are accountable for our sins? Even those of us, those of you who may have had, may have had or still have wicked fathers and mothers. Because we have a righteous father 
who sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, died on the cross, buried in the tomb, rose on the third day. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He is the perfect Savior. (laughs) And if you call on his name, you won't have to pay for your sins. But if you don't, friend, you will. And that's why it's a joy to remember him through the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11.23 For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this uh, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. If you're a Christian... Ask the Lord to reveal any sin that you may not have confessed or know about. If you're not a believer, you can call on the name of the Lord. But if you don't know the Lord, please don't take. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Would you stand? After I pray, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So if you're a follower of Christ, you can make your way to one of the five uh, communion tables throughout the church. If you go to one and it runs out, just make your way to another one. We've got time, all right? And then uh, you can make your way back to your seats. By the way, there's two cups for those of you that are new. There's two cups stacked on top of each other. The bottom cup has the bread. The top cup has the juice. And you just take that and return to your seats. And then you can take the Lord's Supper at will and pray, sit in your seats there. uh, and, And then I'll have you all stand back up. Uh, for our time of response where people can come forward to make public professions or join the church. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we confess to you, we are not the parents we want to be. But praise God, we have a perfect Father in heaven. I pray that we would not overlook sins in our own lives or the lives of our children. Now, I know some of our kids are grown and we, we don't have... Uh, physical or literal control of their lives. Maybe they're independent and they make their own money and we couldn't do anything if we wanted to. But we can still influence them. We can still pray for them. And I pray we would take this tragic story of Eli and his sons and it it would convict us, not run us in the ground for being wicked fathers. We all know we're wicked. God help us. We've not handled things properly many times. But, Lord, there's never a better day than right now to start. And so I pray, God, with your help, you would help us be better parents. I pray for, uh, for you to work in our hearts, God. Lord, we just offer up this time of, of where we remember you, your blood, and your body that was broken and poured out for us. Lord, it's just a reminder of the forgiveness that you offer. I pray if anybody doesn't know you today that this very Lord's Supper would draw them to want to know you. Your body was broken. Your blood was poured out willingly as a sacrifice for us. Lord, would you bless the taking of these elements now and bless our time of response to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.